Welcome to the Testimony Podcast, people of faith telling the stories that matter from their lives. I'm your host, Andrew Chamberlain, and I'm delighted that you can join us for this conversation. You can subscribe to the Testimony Podcast on all of the major podcast distributors and follow us on Twitter at TestimonyCast. Hello and welcome to episode 28 of the Testimony Podcast. This episode is the second half of a conversation I had with the author and counsellor Sarah Hall. If you've not listened to the first part, which is featured in episode 27, then I suggest you go and listen to that one first before you listen to this episode. Sarah is a wife, a mum, a blogger and a counsellor and author of Tasting Dirt when you're disappointed with God. And in this episode, we talk about gratitude, including Sarah's own 12,000 reasons that she's collected over the years to be grateful to God. We also talk about the helpfulness and honesty of lament, a very sound, valuable, biblical Christian principle, which we need to rediscover in our current age. And we talk about the importance of lament in healing. And we also talk about the process of putting all of our faith in the Lord and not in other schemes and plans that we might devise ourselves. I think this episode, together with the previous one, episode 27, contain together an essential message for Christians across the world today. I was greatly blessed by talking to Sarah, and I learned a lot from our conversation. I hope it will be a blessing and a great learning opportunity for you as well. Here it is. So, Sarah, I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about the role that you think that gratitude plays in this whole this whole kind of wrestling and contending with being disappointed with God. Yeah, so I think gratitude is really significant because because I like I've come to believe that that God is always every day thousands of times a day trying to communicate to me and to to each of us his presence and his love and his protection and and trying to communicate those things to us in ways that we don't see unless we're open to them and unless we practice looking for them. And I think that gratitude is really key to that. So um, I talk about in my book about coming across uh, Ann Voskamp's book, 1000 Gifts. Yeah. And how in that book, she has this challenge to start, you know, like to start writing down like the things that you're thankful for and to recognize that those are all gifts from God. Right. And so I, I had tried, um, I had kind of a rough start with that because it took me a long time to learn to see these things yeah. that even when things are absolutely horrible, there are still good things happening at the same time. And we kind of have this tendency to be like, life is either all good or all bad. And if there's any bad, then life is not good at all. Yeah. And, it, and we, and we want to refuse any good when life is bad because that could somehow make it less bad. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and in the moments when it is hard, when it is bad, when we are suffering and when we, when, when we're grieving, um, like we, we don't really want any of that good, but to learn to hold both of those things together, I think is really important. And so at this point, after almost 10 years <laughs> of, <laughs> of learning to, see the good and to attribute that to God and to his love for me and his presence with me. Um, I've counted, um, I think this morning I stopped at like 12,652 things. Like, so I've got a series of notebooks now 
where like I, I write down the things. And so in the morning I look back on the previous day and um, that's just how it's, I've tried a whole bunch of different formats, but that's just how it's worked out best for me. Um, and I think about, and I think about all the good things and sometimes they're um, sometimes, you know, they're kind of small. Like I saw a hawk out of the window while I was driving today or, you know, like just sometimes they seem like kind of, you know, coincidental, mm. but I don't believe that there are any coincidences like with our God. So it's been years and years and years. And so now I have this record of all of these ways that God has shown his love for me. And that record has spanned postpartum depression and the miscarriage and my brother's death and the foster care situation. And, you know, like just all, you know, has spanned all of these, all of these really dark and horrible times. There has still been like, God has still been there and still been communicating his love for me. And I kind of, I look at like this practice of gratitude as like, almost like a relationship bank account with God. Right. So like the idea with our bank accounts is that we always want to make enough deposits to cover our withdrawals. Right. Mm, mm. And when we make a withdrawal, we want to know that there's plenty in there so that we don't go in the red. Right. Sure. So like this practice of gratitude is like when we, when we acknowledge these good things and we attribute them to God and we're, and to his love for us. And we, and we, and we thank him for that directly then we're making deposits like in this bank account of, of faith with God. Mm. And then when horrible things happen, we're not immediately overdrawn and end up in the red of mm. where are you? You don't love me. You're not here after all. Like, because we have kind mm. of this buffer of all of these things. Like, yes, I have this list. I have this record. I have this experience of knowing that God is with me each and every day, regardless of what is happening actively showing his love for me in all of these various and assorted ways. That's why I think like gratitude has been so important to me. And I see it continue to be important to, um, to my clients as well as part of that learning to hold both the bad and the good at the same time. And remember that, that God is indeed with us actively working to show us his love and his presence, no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's good. I want to move on now and talk about something which seems to be almost at the opposite end of the spectrum from gratitude. And yet it's another thing that you mentioned in your book, and I'd be interested to see how you think that works in amongst yeah. all this stuff, and that's lament. So I wonder if you could tell us what you think lament is and why, even though it seems like a hard thing, it's so useful to us in this situation. Yeah. Lament is honesty with God and with ourselves in a way that we rarely allow ourselves to be honest both with God and ourselves, because I think, well, particularly like in the American church, there's almost this like false gospel of positivity yeah. and that it's, it's more holy, like to be positive all the time, but we don't like, we don't see that in scripture. Like we see lament in scripture and there, like, it doesn't often make it into, you know, the Sunday sermon, you know, like Psalms chapter 13 or, um, any of uh, like David's lament in Psalm chapter 51 after he recognizes his sin, like, Mm. or even some of Jesus's laments, like when he, he cried over Jerusalem and said like, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you know, how long have I wanted to gather you under my wings and you wouldn't let me, you know, like, and so I think lament is really a necessary level of honesty about where we're at and how we're feeling and how bad it hurts 
both with ourselves and with God, that's absolutely important for like for healing. Like there is no, there is no going around or skipping over hurt. Yeah. And so like the more we, the more we lie to ourselves and to God about like, I'm fine. Everything's fine. Like it's not, it shouldn't be that bad. It's been long enough. I should be over it now. You know, like we really do ourselves a disservice and we, we rob ourselves of an opportunity to connect with God in a level mm. of honesty that he wants. Like he, he wants to hear that from us. And we see that in scripture in God's accept of the laments of the psalmists and the prophets and Jesus himself and just that outcry and that outpouring. Like, and there are, there are several great books on lament. Um, one of them being by Glenn Pemberton called uh, Hurting with God. And in it, he kind of breaks down the lament as we see them in the Psalms and in the prophets into a couple Mm. of sections. But just the idea that there's this like honest outpouring to God about how am I feeling emotionally and physically? And why am I feeling that way? And what do I want God to do about it? And then this, like bringing us to this point of asking God to do something on our behalf or on another's behalf right? To, to yeah, move yeah. in this situation. And then it, it, at some point it usually ends with, but it, it doesn't always end with, sometimes it's mixed in, in the Psalms of lament. There is always still this recognition of like, but my hope is in the Lord, but I trust in God, my salvation. Like I will yet again, see his salvation in the land of the living. Like there's always that declaration. And so there's this idea that being honest with God and with ourselves about just how bad we're feeling right now <laughs> is necessary to bring us to that place of faith where like, yes, I can still declare like at the same time. And again, with gratitude, which it sounds like opposite, but here's where they connect, right? It's the holding of the good and the bad at the same time, mm-hmm. right? Like I'm in this horrible place. And at the same time, I can say like, you are my hope, God, I have no other hope outside of you. So I think lament is really necessary and it's something that's been skipped over in the modern church in favor of this pretending that as long as we're good christians and if we have enough faith then we won't be bothered by anything Hmm. that's just not the truth like the world you know like life hurts absolutely (laughs) it really does Yeah. yeah yeah um and it has nothing to do with lacking faith like it just has to do with the reality that sometimes life hurts. Hmm. And these things seem to, uh, just listening to what you were saying there, these things seem to give us an authentic process through, or, or almost like a kind of a compass or a you know, waypoint. So if you've got to travel through this stuff and it's it's really hard and you can't see where you're going, things like gratitude and lament can help guide your way through, can't they, I think? Yeah. When you, like, when we get in that place and we're like, I don't even know what to do with myself. Like, what am I supposed to do with this God? Like when you don't feel, when it feels phony to crack open your Bible and when it feels like you're talking to a brick wall to try and pray, like, you know, like you can return like to lament, like, and to gratitude for that season, like, and until you, until you move through those feelings and stay connected to God in a way that's kind of outside of the stereotypical, you know, like Bible study and prayer time, mm. you know, when it doesn't mm. feel like that works. 
like these are real spiritual disciplines that you can, you know, like it can, it can be different and still be connecting to God in the season of pain. Mm. Now, one of the things that you talk about in your book is this need to come to the point where we kind of don't have all the other insurance policies that we might have in case God doesn't come through for us. So there's a kind of, there's a dynamic around faith there, I think. I wondered if you could just tell us briefly what that is and how that works from your perspective. Uh, My husband and I both joke about being control freaks and, but really we love to, I mean, as a species, like we love to have control and we love to pretend that we have control, but the honest truth is that we, we have very little control in this life and, and really that what God made us to be in control of is really limited to our own beliefs and our own thoughts and our own feelings and our own actions, Hmm. not the beliefs, thoughts, and feelings of actions of anybody else, just ourselves. And so we often want, we want to control everybody else. And we even want to control God, like, Hmm. and we want to assure this outcome that like, this is exactly how and when God is going to show up for me. And if, and, and then if he doesn't, then he must not love me. You know, like that's kind of the the logical conclusion of that, you know, argument, right? But that assumes on the front end that we would be able to to determine this is, you know, and tell God, this is specifically how you're allowed to show up for me. Um, <laughs> and in the face of, you know, like who God is, you know, it just doesn't pan out that idea that we could could have that control over him, right? And honestly, like a God that we could control and a God that we could predict like would not really be any kind of God at all because we, we need a God who is bigger than us, right. Mm. Who's more Mm. powerful, who Mm. knows more, who has more wisdom, who, you Mm. know, like we need somebody outside of us who's bigger than us. Mm. Yes. And so Mm. the practice of, of identifying all of the ways in which we try to control God and control others and control situations and kind of giving up those actions, really, because most of those those actions are frantic, you know, anxious. Like for me, it's with the the planning um, and the knowing, especially around. It's like I was so anxious about my pregnancy after the miscarriage, and I was yeah. worried both about having another miscarriage, and then I was also worried about having postpartum depression again after my baby was born. And so I had all these plans in place, and you know, like I was seeing my counselor, and we were going to do postpartum depression assessments at this many weeks. And then again, at that many weeks, and then we were going to, you know, like I'd already talked to my doctor about uh, renewing my prescription for antidepressants, you know, really essentially like at the moment I pulled the trigger, like she was ready to go, you know, like, so I had all these plans, all of these things set up and just recognizing that there's a difference between wisely preparing for the future, which is necessary. Like we can't just we can't just go through life ignoring tomorrow, right? Like, and some things require pre-planning, but there's a difference in motivation. Like, and it's that inside really subtle heart motivation, right? Like, am I wisely preparing for the future or am I trying to exert control because I'm terrified mm. of not showing up for me again in the okay. way that I want him to? So that's that in your mind is the kind of crucial difference is, is yeah. the mo- not so much necessarily the plans you make, but the motivation for making them. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Because I mean, like you can like, yeah, like it's not bad to plan. It's the motivation. 
Like, it's not bad to enjoy a sweet. It's the motivation. Like, it's not bad to drink alcohol, but it's the motivation, right? Like, am I doing this to try and avoid fear or pain or, Mm -hmm. you know, like to try and control as opposed to, am I enjoying this as a gift that God has given me to be enjoyed? Or am I being a good steward of my resources and my time, you know, like to plan for the future? Or am I trying to keep God at arm's length just in case so I don't get disappointed again? Okay. And to really get a feel for what your motivations are starts with asking the Holy Spirit to show them to you Mm. because we're really good as humans at lying to ourselves <laughs> and yes. justifying all of these things. Um, but it's the, it's the spirit who searches and knows our hearts and our minds on a, on a level that, um, that we often don't really want, <laughs> but there's yeah. healing in that being known and, and be like allowing him to show us and becoming open to being shown those deep motivations of our heart, like there's healing in that and there's not healing and kind of persisting in all of those actions to kind of keep a distance with God so that we won't get hurt again. Kind of like the stereotypical, uh, you know, like commitment issues, you know, in a dating relationship, you know, like between two people, right? I'm going to keep mm. you at a distance so I don't get that hurt if this doesn't work out. Yeah. You know, but yeah. with God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it comes back again to a kind of honesty, doesn't it? I suppose about yeah. what we're doing, why we're doing it, and and just continually exposing ourselves to God and not hiding from Him or not not trying to put some kind of buffer between us and Him. Yeah. Um, to kind of protect us. Um, one of the things that that really strikes me when I'm thinking about this stuff is that we, all of us, people listening to this, you and I, we have times of difficulty and pain, uh, worry, anxiety, you know, stuff happens. But it seems that the truth that God is right there with us, journeying with us in it, however we conceive him doing that, is that, that truth is incredibly helpful to us. And I wonder if you could tell us why you think that is the case. I mean, ultimately, I think it's the case because that's how God designed it to be. <laughs> but um, um But I think why it's so helpful comes back to that, like back to the idea of control, right? Is that when we're, when we get real honest about it, it's like, we don't have control over, you know, like this situation, right? Like this hurts and there's nothing I can do about it, you know, like, and really, honestly, there's very little that anybody else can do about it. And what we really want in those moments is often just someone to be there. And Mm. we're not very good at suffering humans, (laughs) (laughs) like um which seems really surprising considering how much of it we have to do (laughs) and and so when we're with someone else who is suffering we often feel this pressure to fix it and make it better right but when you're the person who is in the suffering like when like there's not a whole lot that anybody else can do you know like like when you're when your baby has died you know like there's no words to be said like that can bring them back you know like there's no like and there's no amount of of meals, you know, like I had a refrigerator full of pasta, you know, <laughs> like yeah, yeah. by the end of the first day. And that was that was a that was a lovely expression of other people's love, like in their care for me. But it didn't you know, it didn't make it hurt any less. Like really, the thing is, is just to be there and mm. be present. Mm. And we see like in Jesus and in his in the story of Jesus and Mary of Bethany 
kind of this model of Jesus's presence and even allowing himself to hurt with her. Mm. And there's in Galatians that talks supposed to bear one another's burdens and we're supposed to weep with those who weep just mm. as we rejoice with those who rejoice. Mm. Right. And in Hebrews, it talks about Jesus as being our great high priest. Who's not unfamiliar with all of our pain and suffering that he experienced everything that we experienced so mm. that he could, so that he could be present with us mm. in everything and through everything. And so that he could intercede on our behalf in a way that he wouldn't otherwise have been able to if he had not shared those experiences. And so I think that presence is so important. And I, and I think the idea that the God of the universe would make space to be present with us and even to weep with us and to feel with us and to allow our hurt to hurt him is so very meaningful, right? Like he's not out there somewhere like a conductor, you know, like you know, waving the baton around and orchestrating everything, yeah, but yeah. not aware of just how difficult it is to play the specific piece that he's calling you to play. Mm-hmm. Like that he's actually in it with you every single moment in both the good and in the bad, right? And that his presence with us in the bad is not a presence of a pick yourself up, wipe your face, keep moving, go on, get over it. Like, you know, like it's not, not that kind of a presence, not like a, a drill sergeant standing over our shoulder, you know, like demanding that we keep moving forward, but that it's a real honest presence and that he, he allows himself to hurt with us mm-hmm. um, is such an amazing and beautiful and healing and necessary thing for me, like the cross and the exa- and and the reality of Christ's crucifixion and then resurrection is is the ultimate example of that. Yeah. You know, kind of he's kind of you know what did did he kind of turn up for us? Well, yeah, yes, he did. There's there it is. He couldn't have turned up more in a sense, could he? Than that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And then he keeps he does he really does keep showing up for us every single day. You know, like. There's, there have been times, you know, like where I'm suffering and and people are like, oh, you know, just like, remember, you know, like that Jesus died for you, you know, he proved his love for you. Right. And that can seem in the midst of the suffering so far removed and so distant. Right. Like, Mm. and, and there's almost that, like, for me, I experienced kind of this simultaneous, like frustration, like, I know that already, but that's not really helping. And then at the same time, this guilt, like, that should be helping, right? Like that should be the most important thing, right? Like that yeah. should make me feel better. Yeah. It doesn't really. And so the idea that not only does he do, like has Jesus done this great, you know, cosmic eternal work, like on our behalf of, you know, like his, his perfect life and his death and his return um, for us, but that he does also the daily moment by moment, nitty gritty, you know, in the dirt yeah. with us presence at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we're coming to the end, I think, of our, of our conversation now. And I wonder, is there anything else before we finish that you would want to say to people just as a kind of like final word of wisdom? Yeah, I think just I know that when you're in the middle of it, there's like there's so much anger with the pain because anger comes out of pain. Like and like that's that's part of anger's job is to point out, you know, like, hey, this is hurting us and we need to do something about that. Um, 
So I know, I know that there's a lot of anger with the pain, Mm -hmm. but to not, to make that choice in every moment, to not let that anger isolate you both from God and from other people. You know, I'm not saying ignore the anger and I'm not saying, you know, like shove it away. Right. Like, but to find ways to express it through writing or through, you know, just speaking honestly to people you can trust or speaking honestly to God. Like I feel angry right now. Mm -hmm. Like it's not Mm -hmm. okay. Like how bad mm. I'm hurting. It's not okay that this happened. And that's kind of where that lament comes in. Yeah. So like in those dark, yeah. in those darkest moments where you don't even, you don't even want God, you know, like you want him to leave you alone. You want to, you know, like, like with all of that anger um, to be, to be honest about that with that in a way that's going to move you towards healing, not in a way that's going to hurt you worse. Mm-hmm. So um, Sarah, we've we've referred a little bit during this conversation to the book that you wrote that you felt convicted to write addressing this stuff. So I wonder if you could just, as we finish now, you can tell us about that book and how people can find out more about you if they want to. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to share that. So it's called Tasting Dirt, When You're Disappointed with God. And in it, I kind of draw this analogy to if you've ever fallen off for me, it was a horse. Um, but if you've ever fallen off your bike or, you know, fallen anywhere, you know, ended up with a mouthful of dirt, um, it's really unpleasant. (laughs) And just kind of, um, that kind of as an analogy for just the really unpleasantness of, of feeling disappointed with God and not really knowing exactly what to do about that. The book is available on, uh, Amazon in a paperback and Kindle. And then I also have a, a, there's a five day devotional adaptation of the book available on the YouVersion Bible app. And then I have a blog. um, It's called emotionculture.com. I talk sporadically. It's not regular by any means (laughs) (laughs) about our emotions and our spirituality and how they complement each other. Mm. And you can reach out to me there through my blog. um, Send me an email. Um, Sarah, S-A-R-A, there's no H, at emotionculture.com. Okay, that's great. Sarah, thank you so much for, for sharing this stuff with us. Some of it really personal and, and, you know, obviously painful for you. And we really appreciate you taking the time and, and making that commitment to kind of showing us, showing so many of us what the way through this stuff can be. So thank you. Yeah, I really appreciate yeah, that. Thank you, Andy. It's uh, It's been an honor. I'm so glad that you reached out thank you for listening to the testimony podcast you can subscribe to the show on all of the major podcast distributors and also follow us on twitter at TestimonyCast. if you want to find out more about the christian faith and connect with someone to talk about your experiences or answer your questions just go to www.christianity.org.uk from wherever you are in the world You can also contact us by email at thetestimonycast at gmail.com. That's thetestimonycast at gmail.com. I look forward to sharing more of the stories that matter from people of faith with you soon. Until then, thank you for listening and God bless you.